The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Well, if you would, open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, my little annoying high-pitched voice just doesn't sound, doesn't follow that act very well. I was just trying to deepen it a little bit. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Sanctity of Life Sunday. A Sunday that we set apart on this third to fourth uh, Sunday of each year of January, marking the anniversary, 1973, of a court's decision called Roe v. Wade. I want to begin this morning by reading the words of a presidential proclamation from the year 1988 on, well, just before this day, proclaiming this day. It was announced four years prior by this president, uh, Ronald Reagan, a day set apart to uh, grieve that decision, a day set apart to celebrate life, uh, the meaning of life, the inalienable right to life. And I, I want to spend a bit of time in introduction reading this proclamation because I know it's nothing like what you will hear on, in the media in today's day and age. It's nothing that you will hear from the President of the United States who is currently sitting in that seat. It's nothing you will read in the newspaper. And I think it's worth our time to hear once again this proclamation that was given on National Sanctity of Human Life Day in 1988 just to set the time frame a little bit and make some of you feel very old. Uh, I was three years old on this day that this was declared. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. America has given a great gift to the world, a gift that drew upon the accumulated wisdom derived from centuries of experiments in self-government, a gift that has irrevocably changed humanity's future. Our gift is twofold. The Declaration as a cardinal principle of all just law, of the God-given, unalienable rights possessed by every human being, and the example of our determination to secure those rights and to defend them against every challenge through the generations. Our declaration and defense of our rights have made us and kept us free and have sent a tide of hope and inspiration around the globe. One of those unalienable rights, as the Declaration of Independence affirms so eloquently, is the right to life. In the 15 years since the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade, however, America's unborn have been denied their right to life. Among those tragic, unspeakable results in the past decade and a half have been the loss of life of 22 million infants before birth the pressure and anguish of countless women and girls who are driven to abortion, and a cheapening a cheapening of our respect for the human person and the sanctity of human life. We are told that we may not interfere with abortion. We are told that we may not impose our morality on those who wish to allow or participate in the taking of the life of infants before birth. Yet no one calls it imposing morality to prohibit the taking of life after people are born. We are told as well that there exists a right to end the lives of unborn children. Yet no one can explain how such a right 
can exist in stark contradiction of each person's fundamental right to life. That right to life belongs equally to babies in the womb, babies born handicapped, and the elderly or infirm. And we have killed the unborn for 15 years does not nullify this right, nor could any number of killings ever do so. The unalienable right to life is found not only in the Declaration of Independence, but also in the Constitution that every president is sworn to preserve, protect, and defend. Both the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments guarantee that no person shall be deprived of life without due process of law. All medical and scientific evidence increasingly affirms that the children before birth share all the basic attributes of human personality, that they are, in fact, persons. Modern medicine treats unborn children as patients, yet as the Supreme Court itself has noted, the decision in Roe v. Wade rested upon an earlier state of medical technology. The law of the land in 1988 should recognize all of the medical evidence. Our nation cannot continue down the path of abortion so radically at odds with our history, our heritage, and our concepts of justice. The sacred legacy and the well-being of the future of our country demand that the protection of the innocents must be guaranteed, that the personhood of the unborn be declared and defended throughout our land. The legislation introduced at my request to the first session of the 100th Congress, I have asked the legislative to declare the humanity of the unborn child and compelling interest of several states to protect the life of each person before birth. This duty to declare so fundamental a matter falls to the executive as well, and by this proclamation I hereby do so. Now, therefore, I, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim and declare the unalienable personhood of every American from the moment of conception until natural death. And I do proclaim, ordain, and declare that I will take care that the Constitution and laws of the United States are faithfully executed for the protection of the America's unborn children. Upon this act, sincerely to believe, believe to be an act of justice warranted by the Constitution, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of the Almighty God. I also proclaim Sunday, January 17, 1988, as a National Sanctity of Human Life Day. I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in their homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life they enjoy and to reaffirm their commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of every human life, and witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand to this 14th day of January in the year of our Lord, 1988, and in the independence of our United States of America, the 212th, Ronald Reagan. What a proclamation made in 1988. Ronald Reagan did not live long enough to see the day that came on June 24th of this past year when we witnessed the Supreme Court uh, overturning that decision of Roe v. Wade from 1973, ending a woman's supposed constitutional right to abort her unborn child. In that, we we do celebrate. In that, we do thank the Lord uh, that 
God, honestly, if you, you think back over the past five years, this is the fifth time I've stood before you as, as pastor uh, preaching on a Sunday morning from this pulpit on this day. And for four years we prayed, God, would you have grace upon our country? Would you overturn this decision that was made that really makes the, the battle, even within the, the culture and legal system, a, a bit unfightable because the Supreme Court's ruling trumped any legislative act that could come about? God, could you overturn it? And I'll be totally honest with you. I, I prayed that prayer with a heart of little belief, of little faith, that I would see it even in my lifetime. I, I, I didn't doubt the power of God to accomplish such an act, but I doubted that he would give his grace to a people so unworthy as us, as our country in the direction that we have headed and, and are continuing to head. And so it came as a great shock to many when the Supreme Court in June of last year uh, overturned that decision no longer um, no longer creating that supposed right again for a woman to to have an abortion at her own choosing. You may be here this morning and have mixed feelings about the whole subject of abortion. You may be here and even be you know in support of, of a woman's supposed choice to be able to terminate her pregnancy, to end the life of that, that unborn child. What I, what I ask of you, what I long for you this morning is to just give, lend, lend me your ear for, for the next just few moments that we have together, some 30 minutes, to just give me your ear and listen to the Word of God and what the Word of God has to say about the sanctity, the value, the worth of a human life. And the worth of a human life, no matter no matter who the parents are, no matter the circumstances even that led to the conception of that life, that your life isn't contingent now upon who your parents were. And I don't ask you when you walk in the door, well, where'd you come from with your parents and who were they? And base my opinion of the value of your life upon them, upon their life, upon their decisions. And that you are a, a creature created by God. That, that you have that right to life no matter the circumstances of your conception, the circumstances of your upbringing. And what I am going to argue, of course, is that the Bible extends such a, a right, such a privilege because of God and we as humans being His creation to every human being. No matter, no matter the supposed handicap, special needs situation, no matter how young, no matter how old, that every human being is valued by God and therefore must be recognized as dignified, as with a dignity, no matter who they are, no matter what they are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what they've become, because of God. I've shared with you a statement every year for the past couple of years that we're going to look to that I think summarizes the, the biblical doctrine, the biblical teaching of the dignity, the sanctity of human life very well. That statement is as follows. Every human life is created in the image of God by the wisdom of God for the glory of God. I hope that's a reminder to most of you. I know most of you have been here the last few years, and this is the third, fourth time that you've heard it. Every human life is created in the image of God. Every human life is created by the wisdom of God. And every human life is created for the glory of God. 
You say, why would I make such a statement? Well, just real quickly this morning, I want to walk through some passages that clearly teach the truths of this statement. First, Genesis 1. Go ahead and flip there. Genesis 1. I've got it on the screen as well for you. Verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1 traces the creation work of of God speaking all the universe into existence. And then we come to man and God does something unique when he comes to humanity. He does not merely speak humanity into existence as he did with all the other created works, as he did with all the other creations, creatures that, that he created. Man was unique. Man was the pinnacle of his created work. Man was formed of the dust of the ground, and and God breathed into them, and man became a a living soul. And from the, the, the side of Adam, that rib, he created woman, and male and female, he created them, as we'll read in a moment, in his image. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Pause there for just a moment and think of the mystery of that, that God Almighty, within the mystery even of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a triune God, creates Humanity is distinct and separate from all other works that he created, all other creatures that he created, and that mankind has been created in his image, in his own image, and it emphasizes that in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. That God uniquely made the human to be a reflection of of who he is, in a way that, that nothing else in all of creation reflects. There is a dignity and a sanctity to every human life because of that image that God has imposed upon the, 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 the fabric of what humanity is, of who every human being is. What does it mean that mankind was created in the image of, of God? It means that they reflected in a way the, even the rule of God over earth uh, given dominion over earth. They were a reflection of his authority, of his, of his um, godship even over creation as man is now uh, the pinnacle of God's created order, the one given dominion, as it says, above all other creatures of the earth. But, but there's more entailed in it, I even believe, when we think about the composition of who we are as, as emotional beings, as spiritual beings, as, as having an intellect of, uh, of, of will, of volition, and the emotion, the composition of who we are that gives us that ability to experience things, to know things, to know one another even, like no other thing in creation. To know God, like no other created being can know God, being created in His image. We are rational beings. We have an intellect, a will, and an emotion. We are moral beings. We know good and we know sin. We're all the seed of Adam, therefore every single one of us has bears this image. Now, sin started and marred it. It's not what it was in the garden because sin has taken its tentacles and, and, and scarred and, and marred that perfect image of God reflected in the human heart where now we don't do what God would want us to do as God created us to do it. But nonetheless, uh, every human being is still created in the image of God. And that goes, that is true of the, the greatest of us to the least of us. That is true of every single human being. 
Every human being has value, inherent value, before God because they bear that image. Every human being should be treated with dignity and with respect no matter who they are and what they're believing and what sins they've walked through in life and and how argumentative they are and what color they are and what uh, bank account they have and what education level they have or what handicap they have or what sickness they have or what big home they have or what little home or no home that they have. Every human being is created in the image of God. And that we as believers of God's scriptures, we who are Christians, ought to, to look to humanity and realize there's something unique about human beings, that there's a special devotion of God's love to human beings, for God so loved the world, not the world of creation or animals, but the world of humanity, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Every human life is created in the image of God, Notice, secondly, by the wisdom of God. Psalm 139, one of my favorite chapters in, in all the Scriptures. Psalm 139, we'll just read a couple of verses there, verses 13 through 16. For you, God, David writing, reflecting upon the mystery of life, even the mystery of his own personal life, for you formed my inward parts. God, you covered me. Where at? When I was born... He says, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now the Scriptures give personhood to the infant in his or her mother's womb. John the Baptist in his mother's womb, when he came to uh, in the presence of the Christ, it says he, 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 he leapt even in the, the womb. He, he rejoiced in the womb, gave personhood to John in his mother's womb. David here gives personhood to himself. Even at the moment of conception, personhood was granted. That in that moment, a new life has begun. That the miracle of life has occurred as, as conception happens and, and that clump of cells is no longer merely a clump of cells. Even scientifically we have proven that this is true, that that, that is now its own living being, its own living, living thing, its own living tissue that's separate from, can have different blood even type that's formed and different genetic coding that comes about because of the combination of, of mother and father in that, that womb that it's its own life. And it's human. God gives personhood to the infant in his or her mother's womb, created by the wisdom of God as a miraculous display of, of God's infinite power even to create life in that process. It's just mind-boggling when we really think about the complexities and the complications of it all. God's the one who brings that life into being. God is the one who has planned the days even of that life that is created every life, no matter the circumstances, no matter the means of his or her conception, no matter the desire of his or her parents, is created in the image of God by the wisdom of God. And notice thirdly, for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. It will be on the screen as well. This is specifically dealing in the context of Israel, God's people, but I think there's a general application to all of us. 
Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Unless you push back against a more generalized application of that, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. That you exist for the glory of God. That your life is to be, what does it mean, the glory of God? The the glory of God is the manifestation of His splendor, might, wisdom, power, glory. I mean, it's it's the, the, the way in which we can somehow define the magnitude of who God is. The awe, the wonder, the splendor of who God is. That your life is meant to be... Uh, a life lived for the glory of God, a, a testimony of His splendid, merciful grace in your life, uh, a testimony of His infinite wisdom and in the, the design even and plan and purpose of your life as you live it for His glory, as you live it serving Him, as you live it to reveal who He is to the people that are around you. And here's the thing that's not just for you, it is especially for you as a believer called to follow Him, but, but generally human life itself has been created, every person, as a reflection of that glory of God, as a manifestation of that glory of God. Therefore, every life has dignity, every life has value, every life is sanctified unto the Lord. Every life is not ours to to merely take at our own decision, individually. We won't get sidetracked, I don't have time to, but God does give a death penalty for those that take life, but it's not an individual determination. That's for a government that's been ordained over a people to determine. God values life so much so that if you take it, there is consequences for taking life. Every life is created in the image of God by the wisdom of God for the glory of God. Every life is stamped with that image of God by the wisdom of God for the glory of God. Therefore, An assault against the unborn is an assault against God. It's His image, it's His wisdom, it's His glory. That we do offend God the Creator when we take the life of one of His creations. That is not in our our authority to take. So what does this mean for you and for me as the children of God and as citizens of this country in which we live? Now, thank God, in a post-Wade verse uh, Roe versus Wade era. Uh, what does this mean for us? Just two points of application briefly. One, it means we must continue being pro-life in more ways than just being anti-abortion. It means that we must be pro-life in all of life, not just in regards to being against abortion. That, that we are called to live our life in a way in which we value the sanctity of all life and in which we give of our our time and our effort and energy, of our hours of volunteer work, of our compassion, of our finances even, to care for life. And to care for life that the world around us may discard as meaningless, as worthless, as as waste. That, That we as Christians, as believers, that know that God is creator and know that every human being is is a a person for whom Christ died, ultimately. That every human being is created in the the image of God, by the wisdom of God, for the glory of God. It changes the way that we relate to that person, even when we stand at odds against them. 
even when they are professing in their deceived mind and in their blindness and their ignorance things that are contrary to God's word and contrary to the faith. We don't hold up signs that says God hates you, you know, we'll rejoice at your eternity in hell. No, the person that holds up such a sign does not know the God of this scripture. I don't care if they got Baptist in their name. God calls us to recognize the dignity and to treat someone with dignity simply because they're human, because they're created in His image. And that doesn't mean that we give way and we don't speak the truth, but it means when we do, we speak the truth in love and compassion, desiring their salvation, not their damnation. We must be pro-life in more ways than just being anti-abortion. We must give of our time and our energy and our, our money to support and care for life, especially the lives of those that are disregarded by culture around us. And that means we do speak out against racism and all forms of racism. That means we must be people that care for foster children and and adopt children who have no parents and open up our, our homes to care for them. That means that we care for the homeless and we care for immigrants. That means that we care for sex abuse victims and work uh, to prevent trafficking. That means we care for those with special needs and we care for the poor and we care for the needy, the least of these, the outcasts of our society. We recognize every life is created in the image of God and therefore worthy of dignity, worthy of care, worthy of our compassion, worthy even of our respect, merely because, simply because, they are the creation of God. I am thankful as a Florida Baptist that one of the ministries of the Florida Baptist Convention is what used to be called the Florida Baptist Children's Home. It's gone by the name One More Child for a long while now, but I'm thankful for One More Child. And the work that they do, that you're a part of, even through your giving of tithes and offerings here at Trinity Baptist Church, I encourage you to go to their website, www.onemorechild.org. And if you're ever looking to contribute to a worthy ministry, uh, apart from Trinity Baptist Church, on top of Trinity Baptist Church, uh, if you're looking for, to do something for foster children, if you're looking to do something for adopting, adopting families or struggling moms or um, even in the anti-trafficking scene that they have gotten into with work there, um, this organization I highly commend to you. Worthy of your prayers, worthy of your offerings, worthy of your volunteering even. OneMoreChild.org. We must continue being pro-life in more ways than just being anti-abortion. Second application, closing with this. Secondly, we must continue to fight for the right of the life of the un, uh, right to life of the unborn, of the preborn. The, the battle isn't over simply because Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Uh, j- just the opposite. The battle can actually now be fought. Beforehand, the battle couldn't even be fought. Any any ground that was gained, and then any legislation that would make such an act as abortion illegal would simply be ruled null and void because of this supposed constitutional right that the Supreme Court had determined, had really created. And so because that has been overturned, that doesn't mean abortion is illegal. The dream and desire and proclamation of President Ronald Reagan has not yet been achieved. The courts have not recognized the unalienable right to life for the preborn. That hasn't happened. It has rightfully returned to the states where the states, each one, can make their own decision. And now a legal battle is being fought on what states are going to permit abortion and what states are going to recognize that unalienable right of a child unborn to life and and make abortion illegal. And so there is a, a battle to be waged. There is a cultural battle that we must wage as the children of God. I watched an interview the other day of a 
a student who was involved in Students for Life of America being interviewed about the March for Life uh, that just occurred and what their perception of things are now that we're in a post-Roe v. Wade era. And I, I, I liked her slogan that they have for this uh, organization. She said their goal wasn't merely to just make abortion illegal, but they desire to make it unthinkable. Not just illegal, but unthink- unthinkable. And in a cultural war, that is what the church is all about. Our goal, our desire is to preach and teach the truth of God and the reflection of God's image within His creation, within humanity, that, that gives a dignity and a sanctity to all life from the moment of conception to the moment of death. And so we, we wage a cultural war. We're called to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. We're called to be salt and to be light, to speak the truth of God into this culture that is around us. And so there is a, a cultural war to be fought within schools and, and within colleges, within the classrooms in which you as students will go to and the workforces that you go to, uh, work job that you're at where many other people around you may not know the truth of God, may not believe, be believers, and, and have a very different way of viewing life and viewing things, you as a Christian are called to speak the truth in love. Not arrogantly, dogmatically, yes, but in a right way of dogma. In a humble, broken way of one who's experienced the grace of God and one who knows the person to whom you're speaking. Their ultimate need is to experience the grace of God and so continue to wage a cultural war. But there's also a legal battle that is to be fought. As citizens of this country, we have the unique privilege of playing a a very key role in our government, republic, we vote, we elect officials, we vote even on great issues of great importance such as uh, the Florida Constitution being amended to recognize the God-given unalienable right to life for the unborn. I'm thankful again for the Florida Baptist Convention, for the leadership there that has created the Rise for Life initiative, and they've partnered with a group that is um, bringing forth an amendment. That They're seeking petitions. They need signatures for this amendment to be put on the ballot to be voted upon. Some 900,000 signatures are needed by February of 2024. Uh, but this, this video explains it well. Go ahead and just turn your attention to the screens and Here in Florida, there were 80,000 pregnancies terminated. And here's a sobering statistic. By midnight tonight, when most of us are sound asleep, another 219 precious boys and girls will have been killed in the state of Florida. I'm Mark Mink. I was conceived in an unplanned pregnancy. My teenage birth mother graciously placed me for adoption. Now I'm the state chairman for the Human Rights Protection Amendment Citizen Initiative. Our mission is to amend the Florida Constitution through a grassroots citizen effort so the most victimized and vulnerable are protected. To accomplish this, we need almost 900,000 signatures from registered voters across the state of Florida by February 1st of 2024. With the bloodshed of the most precious happening on our watch. I'm asking for your help to build a wall of protection around these preborn lives, a constitutional wall of protection. Their very lives depend upon it. Within your bulletins uh, this morning, you found the petition that was just spoken of. That's a petition called um, to amend the Florida Constitution Human Life Protection Amendment. And again, they're seeking signatures on this petition. I encourage you, uh, please fill this out, sign this, uh, speak and wage the warfare, even on the political front, uh, to 
proclaim, declare the right to life for the unborn. You can fill this out and turn it in here to our, our giving boxes, slip it in there, or turn it into the front office. We'd be glad to mail it for you, or you can mail it directly uh, to the address that is given upon this form. Um, I meant to print some of these extra out and put them in the back. Are they done? Good deal. Stacy is on the ball. Didn't even have to ask her to do that. There is uh, a stack of these out on the welcome table out front if you need more than one. For those of you who are couples or families and you, you only picked up one bulletin, but I encourage you, um, fill this petition out as I will do. Uh, get that turned in, mailed in to play just a small role in, in hopefully uh, correcting a great wrong where the right to life has never been recognized. Never been recognized by our government to protect that right for the unborn. Every human life is created in the image of God, by the wisdom of God, for the glory of God. What I bring before you this morning is far more than a conservative political issue. And you know me, if you've been here long, I don't speak often into the realm of politics except where clear biblical application brings us to it. Don't harp on who you should and shouldn't vote for much, but I do very much so on this issue because this is a very, my understanding of God and of His nature and of the image of God reflected in humanity, this is a very pressing issue upon our culture, upon our government, upon our country to live rightly in justice, the justice even of God in our country being reflected. So as believers, we must speak, we must wage this warfare. So I encourage you, even as we come to a time of invitation, a time of reflection, application, a time of prayer, uh, that you would just pray. One, thank God that the battle now can be uh, fought on the legal front, that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, but also pray, God, would you, would you bring even our Supreme Court to recognize there's one more step needed, that they do need to declare the right to life for the unborn. That would be a huge step, and until then, that each state would recognize that right and enact legislation to prevent such atrocity from occurring. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us wisdom, that gives us light, that gives us knowledge, that gives us truth. Lord, we are not able of ourselves in the sin that we are to rightly see, to rightly examine and understand the things of this world. Lord, as we in our intellect and our philosophies try to come up with the reasonings for why and the solutions for the issues of life, we fall far short. We can often see it and diagnose it, but we have no true solution for it. But you, a God of grace, have given us the solution in Christ. Lord, you've given us your word to point us to Christ and to lead us unto godliness and life that we may know. Lord, what is most glorifying to you, and therefore what is best for your creation, what is best for human flourishing. So, Lord, as we look to your word on this difficult subject within our culture, I pray that you would give us soft hearts of grace and mercy, but give us strong hearts to stand upon the truth of your word. Lord, give us wisdom to speak, to know what to say, when to say, how to say it, to know what to do, when to do, and how to do it, as we stand upon the truth of your word regarding the sanctity of all human life. Lord, work, I pray. I pray in our country even we would continue down this road of correcting a, a wrong in our court system that was done so many years ago. But 
Lord, I also pray we as your church would come alongside mothers who are struggling with unwanted pregnancies, that we would come along children that are born, that are neglected and undesired, that we would be, Lord, compassionate, that we would sacrifice much to reach and comfort and, Lord, provide for those. We declare forth this message, give us action that makes this message far more than words. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' precious name for his